And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Speaking of businesses growing over the course of business history, innovation, robotics, and now AI are driving so much output and scalability. So we're going to talk about that today. And before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustles powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. If you're not aware, that's my business and we love talking to Startup Hustle listeners. So click that link in the show notes. And let's see if we can help you out. With me today, I've got Benji Barish. Benji is the co-founder and CEO of Roboto.ai. You can go to Roboto, oh, excuse me, of Roboto AI. You can go find more information about Benji's company at Roboto.ai. There's a link for that in the show notes. Why don't you scroll down and click it so you can have some context about some of the complex and tricky things that we may discuss today. Straight out of Seattle, Washington, Benji, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. I'm a big fan of the show. Really glad to be on. I, I'm a big fan of robots and AI, but I can't. I don't know as much as you do, so I'm looking forward to learning more about it. Before we get into that, how about we start with a little bit about your own backstory and what brought you to all of this stuff? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from London, uh, now living in Seattle. So you might hear a, a, a bit of an accent. My and God save the Queen. I think I'm supposed the to king, say that. the Queen these days. The King. Yeah, yeah. It's true. God. Oh, Is that, do we have to all change to say that now? We do. We have to change all the money as okay. well. You know, it's are people are people from Europe are always surprised when I say that. But thanks for the correction. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm originally from London. Moved to Seattle. I actually moved to Seattle with uh, Amazon. That's uh, who I was working mm. for in the UK, and then. Obviously, Amazon's based uh, in Seattle here. They have a big mm-hmm. headquarters. Uh, I was working for some of their robotics projects in, in the UK, especially Prime Air, the drone delivery project. Uh, that took me here to Seattle to do more R&D for them. And then I, I, I spent about seven years working at Amazon in their robotics divisions and got kind of fed up with how hard it was to build robots. And me and my co-founder decided to do something about it and started this company, Roboto AI, to uh, really help robotics companies get to market faster and, and okay. solve a lot of the hard things along the way. What is hard about building robots? Great question. They, you know, robots are just so, so powerful, but they still are remarkably like almost like naive at doing certain tasks. Sure. There's always a lot of edge cases that pop up. People think that, you know, you can just strap a, a camera to some hardware and have it go and do some complex things. But the real world is just such a random number generator and things always go wrong. And so companies get to the point where, they think their robots ready for production, that they can roll them out and scale up a fleet of them. They start doing that and really they, they just discover kind of quickly that things go wrong. Uh, and that's because they weren't able to catch a lot of the problems during development and even verification uh, early on in the life cycle. And 
ultimately things just don't pan out and they, they end up spending a lot of capital on that hardware development, but it's, it's, just, it's just a tricky space to get things right. So at Roboto, do you build robots and AI or do you consult and help people make their robots and AI actually work properly? So we're building, the specific thing that we're building is data infrastructure to help robotics companies analyze all of the data that their robots produce. And so they usually need that during development because they need to kind of build new algorithms to make the robots do the things they actually want them to do. And they also need to be able to analyze all that data to figure out like when something went wrong, why did it go wrong? Like how many times have we seen this issue before? Is it the first time we've seen this problem? Or is there actually something like really, really bad fundamentally with how we've architected the system? So our, our primary product is, uh, is is a data platform that these robotics companies can upload all that data to um, and then, then get more insights really about how their robots are performing and functioning. Yeah, we've had a lot of data discussions and episodes on this. And the one thing that, that I always bring up is that data is pretty worthless if it doesn't create an actionable outcome. And that's essentially what it sounds like you're doing is like, and, and you got to do it in a, in a quick way because reviewing your data and realizing that 30% of your clients churned for a particular reason, but they're already gone. Yeah. That's just, that's just history. That's a history class at that point. It's not necessarily innovative. You haven't done anything to move the needle. Now uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, you talk about businesses and growing and scaling and all that. I feel like uh, wh whether, you know, regardless of how people, some people love Amazon, some people might not. Amazon is mastered efficiency with, and if you have, uh, if you haven't ever done it, go to YouTube and, and like, type in uh, Amazon fulfillment robots or something. And you just see these, like, I mean, they are, they do amazing stuff. And, and why, why is it important to study? Cause I've, I've used Amazon's mentality, not necessarily, I'm not going to say I got it and studied it, but that Amazon will look at everybody that works in these places and they're going to like, they're trying to reduce the number of steps that they take, the number of turns they have, the number of times they have to bend over um, you know, different things, because when you scale this across like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of employees or hundreds of thousands of actions, all those wasted movements turn into dollar signs. Yeah, that's right. And the same thing with robots, because like what I do know about them is that, well, first off, you're not, they're not taking over the, the world and killing everyone in the factory, but they might oh, kill yeah, everyone. Yeah. They could kill everyone in the, or some people in the factory by turning the wrong way or grabbing something the wrong way. I mean, there's a lot of stuff and it's, I would imagine that that some of that is probably, is that some of the first problems that you have to try to help avoid is like just the general error code stuff? Yeah, totally. I mean, you hit on a really interesting issue as well, which is like the safety and reliability of these kinds of systems. And really mm -hmm. anywhere there's a robot that might be in a kind of what we would call an unstructured environment. So maybe yeah. humans, other people are walking around, maybe there's other things going on. Right. They just have to be ultimately super safe and super reliable. If anything goes wrong, you know, you can imagine that's potentially huge liability for a company like that. If, if you know, unfortunately some, some injury happened or, or occurred. Um, so that's, that's definitely an area where these companies struggle pretty quickly. And a lot of robots today have actually been successful in mostly structured environments where, you know, they're behind a, a cage of some kind and no one can really get to them. And that's because the, the, the risk is lower because there's less happening. But as soon as you bring robots into a warehouse or maybe into the real world, maybe drone delivery or self-driving cars, the stakes just go way up because, oh, yeah. you know, stuff goes wrong because humans are there. And, and, if, and if a robot does the wrong thing or, you know, breaks suddenly in the self-driving car, someone could get hurt. 
I've done it. I have two yep. Teslas that are self-driving and I love the technology, but nine and 99.9% .9 of the time it drives better than I might. And well, it honestly, it does. I mean, because it follows the rules, but then it then there's that one out of a thousand times where it does something weird and you're just like, what? Yeah. You know, and, well, and, and it's funny because it that's so what I remember, not the good parts. Yeah. You know, like there was one I just, you know, if you've ever the self drive, the Tesla self driving technology, like you look at it from a user perspective, first off, one of the things when it comes to robots is people are like, well, what what was different about it? I'm like, well, first, you got to learn to trust it. <laughs> you have to you because it's coming up on another car and when you first do it you're like please stop please stop and it's gonna stop it's gonna stop but you please stop probably so the, the same thing goes with like any robots and, and all that so you know one thing i, I should have asked right at the beginning what is a robot yeah that's a great question so i think generally speaking a lot of people think of robots as this sort of c3po or r2d yeah, but, in a small no, world, right? but they're not they're definitely not. Most robots don't look humanoid. Really, a robot is actually just anything that's got some kind of sensor strapped to it so it can perceive the world, either a camera or a LiDAR or a radar, something like that. And then it usually does some kind of movement in the world as well. It actuates. So in response to its environment, it will do something. It'll move a thing. It'll you know move forward or, or, or you know enact some action that's useful. Uh, and that's really all a robot is. And most robots actually, yeah, they, they certainly don't look humanoid. They might actually just look like, you know, some metal with some arms coming out of it or, or even a self-driving car or a joy. Those are all robots as well. Yeah, and a robot is that simple arm that 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 lifts itself up, it drills a hole, the thing moves down the line and it does it on the next one. That's a robot. So speaking of robots and AI, I decided to ask the world's most popular AI, GPT, what a robot was while you were mentioning that. It says, it's a mechanical or virtual device designed to perform tasks automatically or autonomously. It's typically programmable and can be controlled by computer programs or algorithms. Robots come in various forms, ranging from industrial to manufacturing to humanoid. Um, and then, it, I mean, it's got a lot more. It, it does mention they're uh, almost always equipped with sensors, actuators, control systems. Now, here's the thing. That stuff's complex. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And there are so many ways that those systems fail. It's kind of incredible. I mean, just in, in, in the robotics career I've had, like, you know, we used to have issues flying drones and, and, and a bird would poop on the cameras and suddenly the drone can't see anymore. And, and you know, it's the same with with different types of weather conditions and self-driving cars, you know, those sensors. That happened to my car. I had like a mud or something like got up and it hit like one of the side cameras and like here, and, and I, I had to stop and clean it off because like every mile I was getting this really annoying alert. There was just like, but part of that is that CYA mentality, cover your ass because Tesla doesn't want you to hit something on the left side because the camera can't see it. That's it. It's yeah. back into that. How much? How much of what you guys do is falls under that CYA? It's it's definitely a lot of it. I mean, the the almost the point you're hitting on is that there's this really long tail of stuff that can go wrong with these mm -hmm. systems. And honestly, like the successful companies that have deployed these sorts of robots in production already, like Tesla, they just have enormous teams of people that are building this kind of data infrastructure to find these edge cases and find these yeah. problems, even in simulation or, or in real drives that they do in test environments. They want to find these problems a long time before any of their customers do. Because, of course, as you said, it completely ruins the experience. You know, you're, you're driving yeah. along one minute, you're like, wow, this is the future. And then it does the stupidest thing. And you're like, OK, yeah, this is nowhere near as, as, as capable as I am as a human being. And so that's exactly what, what we help companies with. Our, our data infrastructure makes it possible for them to find some of these edge cases during development. 
And that's much, much cheaper to fix and, and triage than it would have been if they ended up finding them in production and had a customer call them up and be like, hey, the robot you sold me did some really stupid shit. <laughs> yeah. So, so where does the AI component come in with, what, with the problems that you're helping solve? Yeah, so we, we get involved with companies where they already start collecting a lot of data. They've, they've put that data maybe in the, in the cloud somewhere or they actually just have it on, on a, you know, stored in, in different devices. The data that these robots produce is enormous. Like you can imagine a self-driving car is collecting in you know, like 10, 15 minutes, it's collecting hundreds of gigabytes of data. So as soon as you need to review and analyze what happened in just one drive, you have to almost yeah. get 100 gigabytes worth of data, maybe terabytes of data just for a single drive. Uh, and we use AI to almost identify the interesting parts of that data so that you don't necessarily need to go through all of it just to find kind of where the, the problems necessarily occurred. And then we also use AI to retrieve from the, the big database of, of, of video and imagery that you might have all the other similar cases that might have happened as well. So for example, a lot of the time these problems happen, people are like, wow, I can't believe how crazy this edge case our robot ran into was. I, I bet we've never had that problem before. But then you actually, you go back and look at the data, if you can, and you discover that you probably almost had that, that issue hundreds, maybe thousands of times, yeah. and you just came really close to it not being a problem. And you were kind of lucky all those other <laughs> cases. And just this one time, it kind of tipped over the edge. Uh, well, that's the, that's the interesting part of, of the, the common use of so many forms of AI is looking for the correlating factors that come in. Now, and I don't have an ex I'm going to give a very inaccurate number here, but I was reading a, a book about data science a year or so ago. Yeah, that's what I do with my spare time, people. So I'm reading this book. Well, no, I wanted to be able to communicate about it, but I was reading it. Actually, I didn't even read a book, dude. I was listening to the Audible. All right, which kind of the same thing, but uh, it was talking about it was using a phone company like AT and T or whoever, and they are collecting petabytes of data like every hour, and yeah. then they have a, a requirement to store it for years upon that. Mm -hmm. And you look at like the nature of that; there is not a human that can consume that, and then with that. We're also biased, totally. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like in you know, and and that 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 ability to connect all those dots. I mean, there's a genius somewhere that can do it, or come close, but not. I mean, it's I don't know. I had I had someone tell yeah, me a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I asked someone. I was like, well, they they were doing some. I'm not going to try to give away who this was, but I don't want to put someone on blast. But uh, they they were they were saying that they were doing something. I was like, well, you know, you should just be using Chat GPT for that. It's probably going to speed it up. And they're like, I don't trust the answers. Mm. And I literally said, so you think you're smarter than the world's most sophisticated generative AI? And they didn't even reply. I mean, it was, yeah, they were kind of like, uh, cause saying yes to that would be a remarkably egotistical and probably, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent wrong, but okay. So, uh, still with that, that GPT search, we had industrial robots, service robots, mobile robots, humanoid robots, collaborative robots, or those are, oh, those are cobots. Cobots. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like wh which of those are, are the, the biggest meat on your bone? That's really interesting. Probably somewhere between like industrial and agricultural, we're, we're seeing the most interest. That's usually because the stakes are pretty high. Yeah. Um, but really, we're we're pretty all serving in that in in those spaces. The thing that's really cool about robots, they always they, they look completely different. Like an agricultural tractor versus a drone versus self driving car, completely different things with completely different jobs. Yeah. The data that they produce is remarkably similar because they all have cameras, lidars, and radars, and propellers or actuators and control systems and 
all that data looks looks very similar. So the, the same system on our side can help process and analyze all of that data for them. Um, so we, we generally work with a lot of different types of those robotics companies that you mentioned. The agriculture side of things is I find to be really interesting. One, I'm, 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 so I'm located in Kansas where oh, there right. is a lot of agriculture. I also just bought a farm. Nice. Um, now I'm not farming anything other than memories from my family there, but I'm around and I see a lot of it going on. I have my whole life and, and, you know, and I know a lot of people that have been in that space and it's a challenge and, you know, people look at things like inflation and the cost of goods and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the, the rope, the robotization mm. of, of agriculture could make a big dent in that yeah. one. We're not really producing the number of farmers. It's not really trickling down the way it is. And a lot of that stuff, you know, okay. So I've only got a little 20 acre farm, but I did use the tractor that I, that came with it to mow five acres. And I will tell you right now, I went in my house covered in dirt and gross shit and the first thing I Googled was robotic lawnmowers. <laughs> I did. Cause I'm like, God, this is just like, this is felt like, I mean, cause it's go down this line straight, turn around and then do it again. But it's a lot of that stuff. But here's the thing. If you got to pay a person to do it or have the different kind of equipment, it can be tough. And like another thing too, that I thought was real interesting is, is the, the, uh, a lot of that. So there's a big push to turn it electric. Mm-hmm. Why? Because when you're in the middle of freaking nowhere, hauling diesel fuel around is no joke, man. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So like some of that, like the electric side of it, not a, there's a green nature to it as well. But I mean, refueling is like a real thing. And, and, you know, some, and then the cost of it, the availability of it, the sustainability of it and the environmental impact of it. Um, Because, you know, theoretically, if you think about it, you probably don't want diesel fumes all over your food either. Absolutely. Or or collecting in the field. So, yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. But but folks, here's the thing. This is what's going on around you. It's not all about like uh, warrior drones. I mean, most of the things that that businesses and uh, entrepreneurs are trying to solve, because look, it's hard to get people to do some of these jobs that are highly repetitive, that are boring and mind numbing. Who wants to do that stuff? Like it, no it, one. You and know, a lot of them, a lot of them create a sense, uh, create that that well, you know, like carpal tunnel syndrome or these overuse things. And okay, so uh, if you've ever read the book, I think it was in Freakonomics, the book, but not the movie. They talk about uh, strawberry farming, mm-hmm. and strawberry farming is really brutal because strawberries need to grow on this little tiny. They they usually grow on a little mound. They have to often have to be hand picked. And, and there's a lot, and so you get a lot of back problems and it's like, I mean, being a, if you were a strawberry farmer or work at one, you've got a five-year window before it's true. Like you have like a five-year window before you can't physically really do it because it's grueling. That's where, that's where a robot would be a better choice. And these industries, they just have massive labor shortages right now. Right. I think I think robots really are going to be helpful in, in industries where there's labor shortages, like agriculture and construction is another big one. There's so oh, many yeah. construction jobs and same yeah. with like welding. I think the average age of a welder in the US is 50. It's probably 50. Yeah. yeah they're, they're aging out and no one is going into those. I use that example a lot. It's uh, I've compared it because software developers are the same thing. They're, uh, why, do, why does Fullscale, and once again, if you want to build a team of software experts, go to fullscale.io. We have the people, the platform, and the process to help you with that. There aren't enough people to do it in the United States. So like all of our employees are in the Philippines. 
So we create, you know, we're creating, giving you vetted people. And that's what it's come down to in a lot of cases. Now that's easy to do because you can ship code around the world with the push of a button. You can't ship corn that way yeah. or build a car <laughs> or do a lot of stuff like that. But everyone's complaining about inflation, but fuel rates are increasing. Hourly rate rates are increasing. And that all trickles down to your price at the grocery store and all of it. So like this is important stuff and this is innovation that should change the shape of markets. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's really slow to come out, dude. Like I tried to buy electric farm equipment and stuff like that. I had an impossible time finding it. Uh, Most of the manufacturers have a product they say they make, but when you get into it, they don't. That's right. They have like a small batch that they've put out at quite honestly, an un- probably an unaffordable price, and they're trying to get up to production speeds with that. What can what can change that? Not just for agriculture, but for all of it. Yeah, honestly, that's that's really that's really kind of why we why we exist now. Because it, people often ask me like, where are the robots? Like, do we not have the technology? Oh, they're now? all around you. Yeah, they're yep. they're all around you. But it's vacuumed my floor this morning. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's they're honestly just really hard to really hard to build and get right. Only I would say in the last like five years have the right kind of cameras even existed that are kind of robust enough and easy to integrate and kind of weatherproof for these kind of applications. So, and of course with the advances in AI themselves, like you know you can actually build a pretty good computer vision algorithm now that's pretty reliable at detecting you know that that weed that you need to zap on your on your you know lawn maybe or your giant field. Um, or maybe that rock that you need to pick, for example. So a lot of the computer vision and AI applications have gotten a lot better now, and the actual sensor hardware has gotten a lot better. So we're, we're seeing this kind of exciting convergence where a lot more types of robots are kind of coming to coming together now. I was in Israel a few weeks ago, and I, I saw a couple of cool companies there, and one was even building uh, robots that can climb skyscrapers, and they, they clean the windows on skyscrapers, yeah. which is pretty yeah. crazy. So there's, there's some amazing, amazing stuff yeah. happening now. And by the way, the humans that I knew a guy that used to do that. Really? He made like hundreds of dollars an hour <laughs> for doing it. Because one, there aren't many people that are lined up for that job. And two, it's dangerous. Hell yeah. 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 I mean, he did really, really well with that. And he, yeah, that was a very fearless dude. Um, I'm afraid to be on a too tall of a ladder. So <laughs> that wasn't the... That, yeah, that wasn't a. Do you need you a know. ladder though? I think you're you're super tall, right? Do you need? A I am I am quite tall, but uh, and you know that's a common mistake that people make because I've had a bunch. They're like, you're kind of scared of heights, but you're really tall, and that's <laughs> not how that works. I'm, I'm not inherent. I'm not like afraid to be at the top in the top row of an arena watching a, a basketball game. It's when you like the first time I realized I was scared of heights was actually I walked down a glass staircase on a on a cruise ship. And I felt like my stomach fell all the way to the bottom of oh, it. And wow. I was like, whoa, I felt really weird. And I was kind of realized that I would get queasy on some of that. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, that being tall doesn't solve that. Um, all right. So you talk about, I, I think you had a good point. So I want to back up. So you mentioned uh, open CV or computer vision. We've had done some episodes about that. And this is why some of this innovation has been a challenge because until recently, not a lot of people were working with open CV or CV computer vision. So what is that? Computers see things in 2D. And in order to to create depth and perception and field, and you look at it, so we actually did an episode a long time ago. There's a guy in Kansas City 
that is one of the top open CV engineers in the US. And, and what did he use to do that? He invented the app that you use that helps you pick the color of paint at the hardware store. Nice. And the level of complexity in that is Shocking. So you say, I'm looking at your background and I can see that you have like a beige colored wall, but because of the way the light shines on it and there's a corner up there, like that is actually very, from the, the optical sense of what your brain does is highly complex. And then, so that's been out for 30 years and, you know, it's been out there for a long time, but you're hundred percent right. The, the ability to have an onboard processor processor that can make those decisions. That's what blows my mind about the Tesla and my wife, who's tired of hearing it at this point. I'm like, Jill, do you know how, how pro- programmatically and processor wise, what's really required to make this thing not drive us off a cliff? And she's like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, but it's so amazing. She's like, I'm sure it is. Wow. But it's true, right? Like it's that's the thing is if you can't add up the data and process it, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So, so what, so what is the, uh, all right. So with that great inventors use concepts like Moore's law and all of that to invent what they want in 10 years, not what they want tomorrow. They're thinking about what they got in 10 years. Cause if they're waiting for not for nine years to start that someone else is probably nine years ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are we truly in this golden age of a lot of this stuff finally like coming around and being realized and like that should accelerate tons of stuff. Right. It is already. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we're seeing now. There are so many more robotic startups that are popping up just because like it was it was cost prohibitive 10 years ago to oh, yeah. try and start some of these products because you'd start doing your bill of materials for the for the robot you were going to put together and be like, yeah, I mean, we're not going to for $15,000 per camera on one device. Yeah. Like no one's even going to buy the device for $1,000. <laughs> you know, so that, that, that just the economics didn't work out with some of these cameras and now they're becoming more commoditized. Ultimately it's, it's much easier. It, is the camera, the linchpin in that, in that, is that the, like the main thing or is it the processors, processors and chips? Absolutely. Those two. Yeah. It's, it's really the advent of GPUs and, and embedded GPUs that can process all that camera data on board those robots and, and not need okay. to send it back to some kind of, you know, cloud to, to do all the heavy lifting. Um, so okay. yeah, you're right. It's the, onboard processing and the ability to actually do it. Yeah. And you talk about like a camera. So I I did, I, I do, uh, you look at repetitive things like, uh, so we're going to use iRobot for an example, because I think that's something a lot of people have in their home. I've had one for eight years. The very first one I had freaking hated it, dude. It just kind of went wherever it wanted to go. Like, have you ever had that old Roomba? It just bounced around like a pinball, you know? And like, and you're sitting there looking at that pile of dirt and you're going, come on. It's that. Come on. It's that. And, I get it. and I spent more time watching that freaking robot try to find that dirt than I would have spent actually just vacuuming the floor. True. But it's kind of like if you watch The Office, they were always looking for that screensaver where the square went exactly in the corner. You're just like, come on, get the dirt, get the dirt. <laughs> now, now, on the flip side of that, the newer versions, they have a camera up front. They have a light. Like, they identify. Like, it stops. And you know, here's the funniest thing. So, you mentioned, like, uh, whatever it is that it was stopping for. Do you know the number one thing they had to build it for? It was poop. Wow. Because if your dog poops on the floor and then your your then your robot vacuum That's comes sweet. by oh, and drives God. over it, it will then it will then glaze the rest of your carpet <laughs> either with visible poop or yeah. some form of it. 
It's a poop and That is like the top thing. And I hadn't thought about that until an article came out about it about a year ago. And I was like, whoa. And it had a bunch of videos in it of people like <laughs> complaining. Yeah, isn't that wild? That's the thing. That was the main driver was not getting the robot to drive through poop. But, but with that, I've seen this, you talk about this big evolution, like those robots are really smart now. They map the house. You can, you can set them up in zones. It, it, it knows to detect when, hey, I picked up a little something extra here. Maybe I should back up and go over it again. Yeah. And, and all of those, and, and that's part of that evolution with these products too, is well, one, being able to trust that it isn't going to smear poop all over everything. <laughs> right? Awesome. Right, yeah. How do you, when you're in the PR department at, at iRobot and you're like, God, we got another YouTube video of this thing. Just, you know, I don't know, but, yeah, but, when, yeah, but, but that I have noticed that. And I didn't know if that was just their R and D, but it makes a lot more sense. That, yeah, they're you know, still selling the, the naive ones that just like bump around and they are, they are remarkably kind of, you know, silly actually sometimes, but well, you want yeah. Well, you look at the utility though. So the next thing was, is you could have an effective one. So I have the one that has the eyeball on it. It does actually like in their app, I can look at it and I can train it to, yeah. it, it'll show me the obstacles that it found and it stops and will drive around and avoid it. Mm -hmm. It does little, it's the little things too. Like the old ones, they just went everywhere. The new ones actually do straight lines in your carpet. Yeah. That's right. You know, and so some of that, but I've, I've been really impressed with that and your ability to like program it using existing technology like Wi-Fi to map things out. I mean, it's pretty impressive overall compared it, to where it was just five years ago. We've yeah. done it 10 years ago. It's really yeah. the last five years. It's, yeah. it's technology. But 10 years ago, what, eight to 10 years ago was that first one that just kind of bounced around. And, and, I, and you know, they ask you too, like they want to collect data. They're using the collective, uh, uh, you know, network of all these things now you can say yes or no but it learns to that that's part of that open model that's got to be using open like computer vision absolutely if it's got a camera yeah. it's it's using computer vision. yeah for sure and and open cv is the, is the largest popular open source library to to do yeah. computer vision in, in, in but so few people know anything about it yeah you know it's it's not it's not the easiest thing to get started with i would say computer vision and actually even over the last five years itself computer vision has changed a lot like the over the last 30 years, it was it was more geometric. So like computer yeah. vision algorithms were looking at stuff in the world and that's okay, that's probably a face. You know, I, I, I'm kind of sure that's a face. But these days, computer vision is mostly deep learning oriented and deep learning, I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but it just, you know, you just end up pumping a lot of data through an algorithm and that algorithm kind of learns from labeled examples of things and, and comes up with its own interpretation of, of why something is something. Um, and that makes it kind of, tricky to to wrangle sometimes and make sure it's going to do the right and reliable thing because there's a lot of non-determinism in there and it, it might do the right thing 99.9% .9 of the time like you said in your tesla but then that 0.001% of the time you can't kill someone the one time out of a thousand right, that's wrong yeah, yeah. did you, did you ever watch uh, hbo's silicon valley show yeah sure sure okay so deep learning was needed when it was hot dog or not hot dog <laughs> um yeah and i'll let you use your imagination as far as what could be not be a hot dog yeah but yeah that was that yeah so that was the app they built it was great at identifying things shaped like a hot dog maybe not at identifying whether it really was and that's where these these algorithms fail because you know it can it can sometimes just be the bias in the data that you use to train them can, can really screw them up you know the obviously the famous examples of course were companies that have been using um deep learning and computer vision for like facial recognition they might have only trained on a database of, of white people. And then as soon as a yeah. person comes along or an Asian person comes along, they, they're actually harder to detect. And 
those, there are huge issues with that from an ethical perspective and a, right. and a, and a, and a, a reliability perspective. So there, there was a series called better off Ted. And I remember watching that and they, they, it was just this weird workplace kind of comedy. And they, they, this company made all these weird things, but they always used their own products, but they had built a racist water, uh, water fountain. Oh, okay. Like, so it was meant to like turn on or like the sinks do, but it, but it was only trained. It only recognized, they had trained it in only using white subjects. Oh, so like it wasn't recognizing other people and that it was just a play on that, but it's true. It's true. Yeah. So some of that's, yeah. And it happens so, right. too as well because people just use data sets that already exist and those data sets already have a lot of bias in and they then build their systems with them. And it, it can be the same with any application though. You can imagine, let's say you're building a robot that, you know, kills weeds in your in your giant farms. And if it's killing weeds and you only if you only gave it data of a certain kind of weed and it never knew about another kind of weed, you know, it's, it's either going to skip it or it's going to kill your flower bed. Yeah, yeah, maybe it'll start killing your flowers. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been I've been really amazed. Like, so at, at the property I just bought, I uh, had to have, have a landscape guy that's coming. And I mean, there's a ton of maintenance and, and whatever. And you know, he pulls out his phone and, and uses an app and and takes a picture of a of a tree or a leaf or any plant, and it tells him what it is. Yeah, that's and I'm a- like, wow, you know, like I mean, that's pretty cool. You know, and the, and these, but that's that's probably an open C, a CV kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because these, the, the number one answer was industrial robots. I don't think a lot of people understand how prevalent that is. Is it fair to say that any company or any business that manufactures at scale is highly robotic? Absolutely. Especially, you know, you can see some really cool videos online of like the automotive industry, like cars being assembled and cars being painted it's all just like these arms flying around yeah. doing stuff it's it's 100 really remarkable actually so a lot of that stuff is now automated and and and, and incredible like production efficiency as a result so you mentioned being from london recently traveling to israel i'm assuming that you have traveled through asia at some point cool. um if you have ever been to the airport in seoul korea yeah. Uh, let the, robot city, man. They yeah. literally have these giant robots that are like human size that are rolling around and you, they, they're there for you. You can go up and talk to them. They recognize what language you're speaking. You can ask it questions. It has a, a monitor on the front of it. Um, you know, and they're, they're really neat and interesting, you know, and like, and they're, and they're smart and they're, and they're interesting. Now, one of the things that, so this is a service robot. Um, they also have the world's biggest Roombas there, basically. Oh, they, I, I saw, I have pictures of them because I sent one to my wife. I was like, I think we need this one. But it's <laughs> like, because we have a little mop that like takes forever to mop the kitchen, but it eventually gets there. But this thing's like three feet wide. Oh, wow. And and probably three feet tall. And it's mopping the floors there and doing doing a great job. Um, what is the what is a next level of service robot that we might see or AI driven that maybe isn't? I mean, is it the humanoid stuff that, or is it something different? Yeah, I think, you know, you touched on it a bit before. It's probably the cobot space. I think that's going to yeah. be really interesting. There have been a lot of cobot companies over the last few years. And, you know, they haven't. It's, it's just hard to make something so general, so useful sometimes. But now with AI and especially things like GPT and these large language models, more than ever before, like humans can can say some stuff and a computer can kind of understand what the human wants. And that's that's or know that it needs to go learn it. Needs to go learn it, maybe absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's been in like 
this is just in the last like year, of course, that these yeah. capabilities have now been impossible. So I think actually in a lot of, you know, a lot of maybe kind of engineering environments where, um, you know, you might need a robot to do something for you, or maybe as a, as a surgeon, you know, you might say, can you pass me the, the scapula or whatever it is, um, or scalpel, maybe I'm thinking, <laughs> pass me the scalpel, you know, it'll actually pass the right instrument to you as a, as a surgeon. And I think those kinds of applications now where, you know, you almost have a kind of a help, a helpful assistive robot that makes you better at doing your job is, is a lot more possible because we'll be able to speak to them with, with natural language. Um, and, and we've not been able to do that before. Well, I, I think that's something that probably could be on this list if we talked about the future is definitely medical robots. Um, you know, my sister's an anesthesiologist and her husband is a doctor as well. And, you know, when, and here's the thing is like as humans, we naively tell ourselves that we're better at a lot of stuff than we are. Yeah. Um, but this, but if you can get that precision, you know, they use robots in surgery a lot to a lot more than you'd think for incisions, uh, uh, stitching up the incisions and a lot of different things. And I think that you'll definitely see that down the road. You also look at uh, a level of singularity that will occur. Um, so nanotechnology, meaning the stuff you really can't see. Um, according to Moore's law, you will have the computing, you will, it will it, within the next 15 years, we'll be able to fit the computing power of an iPhone into something the size of a red blood cell. Sure, yeah. And think about that, people. That's crazy. If you think about that, um, considering that I'm 48 years old and I grew up with rotary telephones uh, and black and white TV for a couple of years of that. TV, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my daughter, my, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. My daughter asked me, she's like, dad, when you were a kid, was TV black and white? And I'm like, oh, or well, that came right after asking if we even had TV Oh, but. and also asking if I had a record player. And I had to answer yes to that one. Yeah, I was going to say that was probably yeah. a yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but but singularity is the bonding between machine and man. And, uh, you know, Ray Kurzweil is a guy that started out as a musical keyboard inventor and has become a... Are you familiar with Kurzweil? Yeah, yeah for sure, yeah. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's been a voice on the singularity and talked about a lot of this stuff. At some point, they're going to just inject you with nanobots and they're going to live in your body. And, you know, having a father who had multiple heart surgeries before he passed, like these are things that will get in there and unclog an artery over time or do a lot of different things. And that is, that's, there's AI there. That's a robot. They're just mini robots, basically. Yeah. Right? For yeah. sure. Yeah. I Isn't mean, it wild <laughs> to think now, now we might be able to do that in 15 years. And unfortunately, it, hopefully AI can do some things to speed up the approval process on some of these things. And much like you're doing, figure out where the errors are. You know, because on some of that stuff, I mean, think if you think about that and, and this is where so I had I think one of the very first episodes we did about this was actually with a blockchain inventor oh, and cool. uh, was talking about like all the So you look at all the, the, the wearables, your eye, your eye watch and a lot of that stuff. These things are actually getting smart and the, the AI and the sharing of the data and being able to link amongst each other a lot easier is doing a lot of things like to notify someone, Hey, you, you suddenly have an irregular heartbeat. This is a problem. Go to a doctor mm -hmm. where right now so much of medical is responsive. It's like after an event occurs, like you're having a heart attack now, hurry up and get to the doctor. You have a much, 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 much better outcome. If you're able to get there before that event is fully wide open. Yeah. Same, same with cancer. I mean, my, my yeah. mom very sadly, oh, yeah. they're in, she had ovarian cancer and they couldn't detect it until it was stage four. 
you know, and it was, it's ridiculous. Like why, why couldn't they have found that earlier? And why couldn't there have been maybe some nanobots floating around in her bloodstream that alerted immediately, you know, when there was, when there was a te- detection of that. So. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and then you look at robots soon, you mentioned things like tumors or other things. I mean, it's, we're 15 to 20 years into things that have actual like lasers that go subdermal and like hit a little spot. So my aunt had, had traces of brain cancer and the way, and they, and she refers to it as like they were playing space invaders because they're just zapping little spots that were problematic. But, the, yeah. but the thing was, is those would, they were guaranteed to get much bigger, Yeah. but the level of precision and accuracy that they did that at, you're kind of sitting there until you've experienced it was like, Whoa, that's right. But yeah, you could, you talk about a shortage of medical professionals or whatever. These are, these are very, very good uses of robots. What what's not? What else is not? Because I think medical probably should have or could have been on this list, and maybe it falls under one of these subcategories. But what what else wasn't on here? Like what what else is? It's a good question. I mean, lo- logistics for sure, and mobility. I mean, we've talked a bit about self driving. Mobile robots were on there. Okay, so we're talking about capable of moving and navigating in their environment. So you're gonna obviously get a whole subset of that. I guess the agriculture stuff could even fall under that. So self-driving cars. Yeah, the categories get broader and broader as you kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, cool. That's right. Yeah, so, and I guess the medical stuff probably could have fallen under. Well, that's not human. That almost could be a cobot. Yep. In some ways, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I, I, that's pretty interesting. All right. So while we're here, I would be remiss to ask because there is so much money flowing into robotics and AI. So you guys raised some capital at one point in 2022. Did you feel that that was remarkably easier than it might have been in the past? That's a good question. You know, I think last year and this year have been pretty weird times to raise capital for startups. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, yeah. the markets are a little strange right now. We were, we were a little nervous about being able to raise the, the seed funding for our startup, but I think we got quite lucky at the end of last year. It was kind of quiet in the in the markets, and then this generative AI hype kind of came along, and now there's a Did lot. Did you raise before that happened? We raised just before that, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of good timing. It was trending that direction, but I think the GPT thing just made, yeah. Blew it up, for sure. But even now, I mean, there's a lot of investment in these generative AI startups, but investors are also still a little more concerned about kind of who the real winners there are going to be. There's a lot of ebbs right. and flows in that industry right now. And if we had raised, you know, if we, had, well, if we did existed the year before 2020, 2021, were pretty, were pretty good times for raising capital. And then we were pretty lucky in 2022, 2023 now is a little, a little more peculiar. Um, if you don't have AI in your name, it's maybe going to be challenging, but even if you do, the investors are pretty suspicious about, you know, what's going to stick. The, the, the current, the current stats that I saw that came out that covered, you know, six to 12 months. Well, especially the last six months. So the GPT thing really exploded a, a lot of the interest in venture capital. And why am I bringing that up at the end of the episode? If this is something that you're thinking about doing, I think that you've got well, look, number, the numbers are the numbers. And right now, the amount of money flowing into AI-related startups uh, just in that category may actually outclass all the other categories added together. Probably. You also mentioned like the long tail earlier. So the long tail is, uh, is if you're looking at a graph and then it's really high on the left side and then it's got this really long tail of like singular instances, mm-hmm. that's the long tail. Uh, that's often referred to in marketing. Uh, long, the long tail marketing is a big thing because it's easier to go out there and pick up those ones 
that and then the popular example with that was when, when you used to actually buy music off of iTunes, all of the You're ones showing that, You're showing your all, age. Yeah. all of the things that got purchased one time every day was this long tail, but those ones all added up to be a higher number every day than two plus. Right. And that's pretty impressive when you think about it. So my point with that is, is take a look at where AI or robotics or the things that are trending might tie in well to your business or your expansion or your scalability if you're trying to raise capital, because these are, these are trendy things, you know? Yeah. Uh, the ever-changing opinion of the VC. That's right, yeah. And I think, you know, the, the amazing thing about this latest wave of technology is that, like, most businesses can leverage it. Like, I would struggle to think oh, yeah. of, more of a startup right now that, like, could not leverage, like, GPT and LLM somehow. You know, it's, it's yeah. like you're being given some superpowers, basically. It's a muse in your pocket. I was even, t- you know, I, I worked in the music industry for a while. And I still have a lot of friends that are professional musicians. And they'll ask me some questions. They'll be like, what's, so what's, what's this AI stuff? And I'm like, and I asked GPT to write me a country song that was based on the theme that I wanted my, uh, that I felt like my ex-girlfriend's heart, I wanted my beer to be as cold as my ex-girlfriend's heart. And dude, it wrote a hit like right there. I like read it to my buddy. He's like, what? Wow. He's like, I was like, it did that. Like it did that in 15 seconds. You could record it. What? It could be. It could be. You can have it if you want. I mean, I don't have any, I'm not talented in that regard, but, but yeah, I mean, but that, but that's the point. Like you can use it for so many things. I think that, that the main thing with the generative stuff is, is, you know, like it, it is a muse. It can give you inspiration. Quit looking at the results that you get from that and going, well, only 90% of this is good. Congratulations, throw out the 10% that wasn't because it was free anyway, or 20 bucks a month or whatever. You're looking for the nuggets in there. You're looking for the gold, not the dirt that it's buried in. So I think that's something to, to to bring up. All right. So once again, with me today, Benji Barash, who is the co-founder and CEO at Roboto.ai. Go to or, or go to Roboto.ai. I get it right eventually, right? Cool. If you want, if you want to learn more about it, uh, today's episode of Startup Pulse is brought to you by FullScale.io. Building your software team does not have to be difficult. We talked about FullScale a little earlier. I'm not going to extended this ad read for that with that here at the end of the show whenever i get a founder as as whenever having a conversation with another founder i do the founders freestyle which gives us an opportunity to say any closing remarks i don't know if there's something we left out anybody you want to thank anything that stood out during the show like what what are your closing arguments sir (laughs) yeah really well i just think you know as as we said robots are the future you know they're gonna disrupt a lot of the industries that that exist today for, for good reason because we have a lot of labor shortages and we have an aging population in some of these domains uh as we'd said the 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 hard thing about getting robots into production and, and making them successful at what we want them to do are all these edge cases that they run into and and that's really what our company is is helping um is helping other robotics companies with we're we're helping them find these edge cases store all of that data analyze all of that data that they produce and then ultimately get their robots into production faster so yeah it's been really interesting to talk about that i mean this is the future folks i mean that's just so i'm gonna lead my my freestyle with that like uh this is the solution 
to so many problems. I think people get upset. They're like, well, robots are going to take the jobs, get a different, you're going to create different jobs, right? They're doing the jobs that people don't want to do or that we, and then those jobs usually have to be overpaid. All this is a trickle down effect. You talk about like the cost of, of raising corn, which corn turns into so many different things that you don't identify as corn. That's right. But if that cost goes up, the other costs go up with it and all of that. And that and that's where robots become a scalable solution. Um, they're everywhere, man. They're everywhere. I think people just because they don't have Rosie from the Jetsons, like <laughs> yeah. there's my age again. But, you know, that's the that's the whole thing. It's, it's not it's not necessarily coming as C-3PO or R2-D2, but that's coming, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, that, that is coming. Those those will be cobots. C three PO was a was a pretty badass cobot, I would say. Oh yeah, yeah. He's the uh, he's the ultimate polyglot. Uh, you know, I think was he speak like six billion languages or something crazy like that. But but yeah, so it's coming. And, and I think the main thing when you talk about innovating with AI is you know you are one hundred percent right. There's no, really no business that can't benefit from the use of it. So if you're not trying it, get out there and figure it out. Like. Go ask ChatGPT yep. how ChatGPT can help your business. Define your business as much as you can. Talk about the features, advantages, and benefits of your product, the biggest problems you need to solve, all of that, and then see what it says. And you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. Don't just ask it, what are the most popular dogs in the world? <laughs> That's not a good use of it, but it has some problem-solving skills that are that are pretty I mean, advanced. We talked about the singularity, but imagine a, a version of ChatGPT where it's coming up with better business ideas itself. It then has an army of cobots that go and build those businesses for it and then it's just printing cash. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's where some of it's going. I mean, a lot of it too, it's like you talk about some people have been asking me a lot. They're like, are you worried that AI is going to replace the software developer? No, not really. Um, the AI currently makes software developers better because it picks up a lot of errors and, 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 it, and speeds up the writing of code and some of that. Um, it's still probably a long way away from truly having the innovative ideas and execution that go with it. Cause yeah. that's still a human thing, but it's out there, man. You know, I, I, thanks for joining me today. I need to go make sure that my robot hasn't run over any code <laughs> while we've been doing this. Cause I'll have a lot of work to do this afternoon. So yeah. I'll catch up with you down the road, man. Really nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having me on. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.